Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Veterans and Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, and today we have a very special guest coming from Villanova University, Mr. Michael Brown. Michael, thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Luke. I, uh, I really appreciate it. I've listened to several of the shows before, and I, I think you know what you're doing here is, is really great, highlighting veterans uh, in higher education, whether that be student veterans or folks who work in higher education, I think it's a, a great idea and I'm, I'm really happy to be a, a part of the show. Thank you. Thank you. We're, we're so glad to have you and I know the guests are going to be excited to get to hear your episode. Uh, before we start, I do want to dedicate this episode to a Mr. Nathan Horst, uh, who's a gentleman that I served with in the Marine Corps and who is a Villanova alumni. Um, I'm not going to say, I don't know if he's active or not, but maybe you can put him on your radar for some donations. Or... <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Nate. Just kidding. Um, great. Okay. So Mike, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, sir? Can you tell the listeners uh, just a couple sentences to get us started? Sure. My name is Mike Brown. I'm the director of the Office of Veterans and Military Service Members here at Villanova University. It's a fairly new position at the institution. Uh, I'm the first person, I guess I'm the founding director, if you will, uh, here at Villanova. Before that, I was uh, at a community college doing the same thing. Um, and then before that, I was a congressional staff member for the first Iraq war veteran ever elected to Congress, Patrick Murphy, uh, the 8th District of Pennsylvania out of Bucks County. Uh, my military history, I joined the Army right out of high school as an enlisted service member. Uh, I joined the infantry and got out as an E-5. Great, great. Okay, you, you and I are in the same boat in that regard. That's awesome. All right, so Mike, so given, given your time and working in the different capacities, you know, in community college and now at a university and your time in the military, can you share with the listeners uh, what you see that veterans are doing well in higher education? Sure, I think uh, that has come a long way. Uh, when I was a student veteran till today, uh, working with student veterans, I think students are, are doing a much better job of um, understanding how, how much value there is in getting a college degree and, and where that places them in the workforce. Um, because I think it's not necessarily that everyone needs to go to college or, you know, but the, the veterans who do choose college, I think have a great understanding of the value behind getting a degree. So I, I think that's really come a long way of the, the use of the GI Bill as not just something to get BAH or, or whatever, it's actually being used appropriately to get that education and to get those credentials to, you know, to eventually end up being in a, a job that you hopefully enjoy and can make a career out of. So I think that's really something that veterans, student veterans specifically have done a much better job of over the last, um, you know, several decades. That's excellent. That's excellent. And, you know, I, I've not heard too many conversations in and around what you've just said. However, you know, we have lots of data that would indicate that that's probably the case, right? People are going into more difficult majors. 
they're doing well in those majors, uh, very high GPAs overall. Uh, finishing a degree is, is at an all-time high right now. So, you know, those, those quantitative data points would definitely indicate exactly what you're, you're witnessing. So I love that. That's great. So now on the flip side, Mike, what do you see that uh, veterans in higher education could improve upon? So I think there's a, a couple of things. Uh, one is once you're, you're on campus, I think veterans can do a little bit better job of advocating for yourself, meaning almost you know, being okay to ask for help, uh, whether that's from a, you know, a micro level within a specific classroom and advocating with the professor, on more of or more of a macro level with saying you know I need some I need to visit the tutoring center and really you know start to focus on getting my math skills or my writing skills whatever those are so I think you know again I've seen improvement in the use of those centers and and, and uh, communication with professors I still think there is room for improvement and I think the other side of that is I I would love to see more veterans get um, to see higher education less as a means to an end and more of potentially as a career option. I'd love to see more veterans working in higher education, seeing higher education as a career choice. I think it's a, for me, it provides purpose, it provides meaning. Uh, it's, it's such an awesome thing to be able to say, I work at Villanova University. Uh, it's a privilege, I feel like. Uh, and I, I think it, more veterans, I would love to see more veterans get involved, whether it be, you know, from the student service standpoint or being a professor or, you know, whatever that means. I, I do believe there's room for growth within the higher education space for more veteran involvement. Man, I'm really, really glad to hear that because, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the point behind this podcast. But honestly, I, I couldn't agree more, whether it be faculty, staff, administration, there are definitely many ways higher education could benefit from the presence of veterans, you know, and I also think that you know, veterans need to realize there are actually more similarities to the two, let's say, ideas of the organizations, you know, uh, rank structure, right? you know, there's a rank structure on campus, just like there's a rank structure in the military. Um, if someone had been in a unit where there was hazing, like <laughs> infantry unit. Um, <laughs> you know, when you get to grad school, it's kind of like a form of academic hazing, I feel. Um, so, you know, there's all these kind of little similarities, the titles, everything, uh, people, people having their particular job that they do. You know, I think from the outside looking in, uh, especially as a student, like wow this landscape is so radically different and it is but in a lot of ways it is not yeah i agree i think there's a, a specific chain of command there's there's all those things within higher education but I, I also think there's a a need for you know more diversity of thought and experience and i think that's what really, veterans really bring to the table um you know life experience whether that be combat or you know whatever that looks like I really believe there's 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 space for that within the academic uh, sphere, and so I'm I'm hopeful um, that as we move forward, that more veterans look at higher education as not just a means to an end, but also you know a place where they can grow and uh, gain a career. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, excellent. 
Excellent. So Mike, let's, let's, let's dive into you, sir. So you mentioned in the beginning that uh, you were in the army and you uh, were discharged as a sergeant and E5 in the infantry. So talk us through, Mike, what, what motivated you to join the army? Um, what was your time like when you were in the army? And uh, you know, what, what, what happened to, to you and, and were you deployed and some details like that? Sure. So I graduated from high school in 1996, and I knew at that point I wasn't college material. Um, I, I didn't, it wasn't that I was, wasn't academic or curious or any of those things. I just don't think the maturity level that I had would have set myself up for success within um, a college setting. And so I looked at my brother, my older brother, uh, he joined the Navy. Uh, he was a CB. And I, I talked to him a little bit about what that experience was like. And I didn't really want to be stuck on a ship. Uh, so I decided to, to not take that route. Um, and uh, I decided to, you know, really join the Army. And part, partly because I, I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to see if I could do it. Partly was because I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. Um, you know, that's part of, I guess, who I am. I like being part of an organization that's uh, dedicated to service. And uh, so that's really, you know, the, the, the reasoning behind joining the Army. Um, when I got in, I, I did really well on the ASVAB, uh, shockingly enough to me. And I was a bit available to choose from a variety of different MOSs, but because I'm very colorblind, it limited my choices. Uh, they do a, a test when you join, you look at a bunch of dots and you're supposed to see numbers. Uh, and I think of the, there are 14 or 15 that you're supposed to see. I think I got two of them right. Um, and so that really limited my choices. So basically it came down to, I could be a, uh, you know, heavy equipment operator or truck driver basically, or join the infantry. And so I said, well, you know, I'm just going to, you know, test my luck and, and try the infantry out. And I, I'm really glad I did. I think it, it helped me in a lot of ways, uh, learn a lot about myself, what I'm capable of doing. Uh, but it also gave me some discipline and some structure that I needed to become, you know, going from that immature high school graduate to, you know, now, um, you know, when I was getting out of the army as someone who could really be prepared for anything in front of him. So that was, I was very happy I did it. Um, right. I, I knew it wasn't going to be a career for me. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to do it just, just to, to really, uh, again, learn a lot about myself, grow up. And, uh, but, you know, while I was in, I deployed to Bosnia as part of the stabilization forces. Okay. I was stationed out of Germany um, with 136 Infantry. And we went down there with um, my battalion commander at the time, who then went on to uh, become a general. Uh, Tony Kukula was his name. <clears throat> he was... Um, uh, he was a, a great leader of mine, very instrumental in learning that, you know, leaders aren't these abstract people. They're, they're just normal folks who have more experience than I do. And that really showed me that I can, you know, eventually get to that point. I don't have to be some abstract, you know, standard attention person. It's, it's really someone who's, who's very approachable uh, and was very willing to mentor and tutor those below him. So I was very happy to have that leadership. Uh, and as that uh, deployment, we really learned to go from 
less of a infantry sort of uh, standpoint to more of a policing standpoint, I would say, you know, okay. so we re retrained in, you know, um, sort of de-escalation skills and, you know, learning some of that. Uh, but we did patrols, we did, you know, all that stuff. Uh, we were at Camp McGovern up in the northeast part of Bosnia for eight months uh, in 97 to 98. And again, that was a, uh, a great deployment. And I was very happy that we did that. It, it taught me that, you know, the army can do more than just, you know, combat. We can really do, we can really impact and help those communities that need help. And that's, you know, really what Bosnia needed at the time. So it was, it was again, a, a great learning experience for me. After Germany, uh, I went to Fort Hood, Texas, and that's when I knew I, I wanted to get out. I was not a fan of Fort Hood, basically because of the climate. Uh, I, I'm from uh, I'm from Michigan uh, originally. Okay. And okay. 110 degree, you know, weather days, and still having to do PT, and it just it just didn't work well with my. And I knew I'd have to come back. Uh, Fort Hood is a a big. You know, I was mechanized infantry at the time, so it was, okay. it's a big armor, you know, station. So that's really my story in a nutshell with the army. Uh, and when I did get out, I didn't waste any time. I got out in, in August and three weeks later, I was on a college campus in Michigan. Um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't waste any time. I didn't take any breaks. And I think that's served me well. I think if I would have, I don't know if it would have set me up for success the way it, it did. I, I may have started looking for jobs that, you know, I don't know what would have happened. So it really just kept me moving forward. And I, I'm really happy that I, that I did that. That's excellent. That's excellent. And, you know, so, so, so very interesting. And I think it's interesting that you knew that you, uh, you know, it was, it was going to be an enlistment for you and it wasn't going to be a career and you stuck to that. Uh, but you had some experiences, you know, and I think it, these are very powerful, like uh, Bosnia, for example, I think um, oftentimes Bosnia and Kosovo now with the global war on terror get overshadowed, but people need to understand that these were uh, huge atrocities and they were resounding successes for the United States and NATO allies. And uh, really the type of warfare that was going on in, in those mid nineties and late nineties was the small, you know, three block style warfare. Uh, so this, you know, this is very interesting to me uh, because we don't, in the United States, talk about Bosnia and Kosovo enough. However, I will say our, our European counterparts uh, do a much better job remembering that. Um, so three weeks in between getting out and starting the university life. So can you talk us through, so you've had these experiences, you know, you, you go to Germany, then you go to Fort Hood and it's way too hot. So you're like, I'm getting out and, and you decide <laughs> to go back to school. And um, well, I mean, that's a whirlwind, you know, that's a complete whirlwind. What, what was that like for you to be thrust literally out of one culture into another culture? Yeah, so I, I think that's a, that's a good question. And I think it's, you know, if I have to give advice to, you know, service members, for me, I say that's what worked for me. I don't say that's going to work for everyone, but I, I do think it worked very well for me is going from one to the next. It didn't give me time to pick up 
new habits or, you know, find other, you know, things that I might want to do with my time. It really kept me on an up-tempo pace, which I was used to in the infantry life. It's, you know, it's constant. And so I think, again, it, it helped with that. So when I did get to that college campus, uh, it's Northern Michigan University, which is way up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Okay. About a, a climate change. Um, so you that, got far away from Fort Hood weather. <laughs> <laughs> a typical uh, winter day is, you know, several inches of snow and, you know, maybe a high of 20 degrees. So, um, but what I found quickly is that I was the oldest person in most of the classrooms. Um, I was, you know, looked at maybe as a, a grad student, you know, someone uh, of that ilk. Uh, but the, the thing that really helped me out is my professors on campus really did a great job of taking my experiences and understanding where I was at and mentoring me through the academic process. So, you know, I hadn't written a paper in APA format in, you know, forever. Right. I had done, you know, algebra or whatever in forever. And so they really understood that and didn't use that as a like, oh, well, this person's not going to do well. They use that as an opportunity to, to see me as a blank slate and say, let's, let's see Mike as an opportunity for us to, you know, and I, they didn't have to do that. They, 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 so I really credit them. And I still communicate with those professors all the time. Oh, that's uh, great. They, were, they were very instrumental in my growth in going from, you know, an infantry soldier to, you know, a student on a, a college campus. So I was, I was very grateful to them. And then I think uh, I immersed myself in the college experience. I joined several clubs, um, you know, outside of the Veterans Club. I was a member of the Veterans Club, but I joined several other clubs. So I, th I think all of that combined really helped me assimilate very well to college life. And again, that's the, that's the advice I give my current student veterans is, you know, communicate with your professors, uh, immerse yourself in the, the campus community, uh, and become a Villanovan. Uh, and I, I think that's um, sound advice for whatever college campus any student's really on is really immerse yourself and get to understand the, the campus culture and, and be a part of it. It'll, it'll make your, as it did mine, it made my college experience, you know, something I'll always remember and just an awesome experience. And I, I think looking back, that's what really gave me the, the, the foresight of thinking, I'd love to just keep doing this. I love being on a college campus. There's nothing, right. there's nothing else like it. Uh, the energy, the, you know, the opportunities, the curiosity, all those things are inherent in who I am. And so I, I think taking my army experience and learning how, you know, how the military can be used in foreign policy uh, decisions, um, and then going to the college and learning how student veterans uh, can be part of the diversity and equity and inclusion aspects of a college campus. I think it all really showed me um, and, you know, without thinking about it, once I got a job in higher education, it all sort of clicked. But, you know, it's, it's really just, a, you know, it was all just part of the, the process for me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that what you're expressing here goes back to something you said in the beginning, you know, when, when you were saying veterans need to uh, also talk and advocate for themselves on campus. And it sounds like, you know, your advice that you're giving people and what you did is, is a great testament to that. Because it's like, if you don't go out and get involved in clubs 
or, you know, activities, uh, then how are people going to know you're there, right? And if you don't express what you need from faculty, from staff, how are people going to know that? Um, and that's one thing that I, I have also experienced that a, a lot of veterans will say, well, they need to know this and know that. Have you taken the chance to educate someone, you know, and, it, and there's no better way than to, to do exactly what you did and, and you know, get involved in campus life and really do, do what you're there to do, right? To have that experience. Um, I, I absolutely love that. And, uh, and, and I, I've had a similar experience. I mean, the first time I walked onto a college campus, it, it was like pure electricity. You know, I just, I love the energy of it, uh, the flow, the buildings. I think one of the things that attracted me to the military was the imagery, you know, you get in movies and, and things. And then it was the same on a college campus. Like I gravitated towards the oldest buildings, like the old libraries and everything, because that felt like the most academic and kind of tweed-like, uh, <laughs> you know? So I love that you're saying that. Um so during this time of, of you getting, you know, t taking full advantage of everything your school had to offer uh, up in the UP and uh, really living that life, what, what were you studying at the time, Mike? So uh, when I um, got to college campus, there was a, a program there called First Year Experience, uh, which was something okay. I took advantage of. And they allowed you, you know, your first year on campus to be basically within this you have you're in a cohort of the same students so you get to really meet other people uh and it, it was for folks who weren't from that area but who were coming to to uh northern as you know either out of state or you know more than several hours away and so that really allowed me to you know be comfortable i guess with exploring different academic options so i changed my major uh, from when I first got there to political science. And that's where I ended up, political science with a professional ethics um, uh, minor. And I, I felt like, you know, in, again, in hindsight, taking that army experience of seeing how foreign policy can be used, not just through combat, but through diplomacy and peacemaking and peace building can be an effective tool. I think that really helped shape me as, as in thinking that, well, this might be an opportunity for me to, and I, I'm not a, the other side of that is I'm just not very uh, strong in mathematics. So it was something of, of looking at an opportunity where I can learn a lot. I can use my experiences to sort of guide my philosophy. Um, and so political science was uh, a great fit for me. And it, I ended up, you know, after my uh, graduation using that degree and working for a congressional staffer. So it really was a a good choice for me. And that's really, really exciting. So, so talk to us. So, so you go from military life, boom, to college campus life, you know, and then you thrust yourself into college campus life and, and you get this degree in something you're passionate about, you see has pragmatic application. And then you get a job uh, as a staffer. What, what was that experience like? So I, I uh, at the time I graduated, uh, the economic downturn was sort of starting uh, in America. And so I moved out to Pennsylvania and was working uh, at a job that was, you know, whatever. It was just a job at that point. And then I 
happened to meet Patrick Murphy, um, who, uh, who was running for Congress. And, you know, I was just talking to him and he told me his experience. He had deployed to Bosnia, he had to, deployed to Iraq, you know, et cetera. So I, I became immediately very interested in learning more about him. And he said, well, why don't you come out and start, you know, volunteering and, you know, uh, help us, you know, win the election. So I did, I started volunteering, you know, started taking a lot of my time to knock on doors and, and do all the things that a political campaign does. And um, eventually he won the election and uh, I was brought onto staff and eventually became his director of military and veterans affairs. And that was an, an, an outstanding opportunity to really see um, from a congressional standpoint, how you can impact the lives again on a micro level from the constituents that walk in the door and say, hey, I'm having issues with my VA claim. No one's answering you know, my letters or phone calls to a more macro level with you know, revisiting and changing the GI Bill to the post 9-11 GI Bill and looking at don't ask, don't tell and overturning that and you know, really impacting the lives of more than just the people in my districts, um, but also really impacting their lives with helping them you know, get VA documents or really working on them and advocating for them with, within the VA system. So I love doing that. Uh, it was something I, I thought I was um, good at, but I, it was something I was very passionate about. I, I love helping others. Uh, but also, you know, whether I agreed with Patrick on every single thing he ever voted for or not, he was going to tell you and be a straight shooter. He wasn't going to, okay. you know, beat around the bush. He wasn't going to try to play political games. And I appreciate that. If nothing else, I wish there was more of that in our, in our politics here in our country today. Uh, he eventually did not uh, get reelected. He lost, uh, but he's still very instrumental in my life today. I use him as a mentor, uh, as a friend, frankly, uh, and seek his advice on a variety of issues. Uh, and I still, you know, stay in contact with him very often. He was he ended up becoming the undersecretary of the United States Army uh, under Barack Obama's presidency. Uh, did some great work there. Um, but again, using my experience uh, from my time in the Army, my, my college degree, I, I think it was just a great fit for me and, and uh, I love doing it. And it led me eventually uh, into the higher education space. Uh, I, I felt like, you know, being constituent services and going into, you know, higher education was a there are some similarities there where you're, you know, meeting with constituents, in this case, students, and seeing where they're at, meeting their needs, um, and helping them, advocating them uh, for them. Um, and so I, I really found my transition from, uh, from that into higher education a, a natural fit, if you will. It sounds like it. And it, it sounds like, so first for the staffing job, exactly. Like your time in the military, you know, your, your time... Uh, getting a degree in political science, like that's a great sum total for it. You ended up doing uh, there, and then that is like that did prepare you to for higher education for what you're doing in higher education. Now, um, a couple questions about the staffing gig. I'm imagining that was probably a heavy workload, like daily. Am I? Am I right? Yeah, so because he was the first Iraq War veteran ever elected to Congress, we would get phone calls from all across the country, you know, and then obviously within our districts, you know, veterans would be approaching us for help with a variety of things. And at that time was, you know, during the initial surge in Iraq was taking place. 
So a lot of, you know, younger veterans were coming. It wasn't just, you know, initially it was a lot of Vietnam age veterans seeking our help. And as we worked out, you know, through the months and years, a lot of Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans started coming into our door. So then you sort of have to shift the, you know, how your, you know, their needs are a little bit different than, you know, right. Other. So I think that was a good adjustment for me. Uh, but yes, we were very busy. Um, but, you know, again, I felt like it was a good busy. It was really something I loved doing and, and felt very passionate about. And so then I imagine when when he wasn't reelected, then probably it's like, okay, well, I'm not reelected. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for the help and support, guys. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, am I close there? And and if so, did you immediately think, okay, higher education or, or what was that like? So Patrick does a, did a great job of setting up people within his office for future jobs. Oh, awesome. awesome. Uh, you know, we, we still call ourselves Murphy Nation. Um, you know, we still, you, we, the staffers, uh, I'm still friendly with, you know, several of them. Um, we, we, we thought we had a great office culture. And again, that stems from his leadership. He, um, he's an awesome, genuine human being. And so he helped us, uh, you know, when, if I was to apply for a job tomorrow, which I won't be, but I would use him as a reference 100 times out of 100 times. Awesome. Uh, and so he's, he's, a, he's a strong advocate for, you know, those he's, he's loyal to. And then, you know, outside of that, what was next? You know, I was just wanting to do something within serving veterans. I felt like that was my niche. Um, and so it was a, an easy sort of, you know, transition for me to, you know, whatever it would have been. Um, I just found that once I was on a college campus again, going from my student life to then working, I still feel the same way when I walk on a college campus from an, from a staffing, um, you know, administrative standpoint, as I did when I was a student. That's it's, great. Uh, it's electric. It's. Uh, you know, it's full of energy and curiosity and, you know, it's a time of life where you can ask questions, where you can, you know, start to think critically and, and look at policies and ideas and, and put a different lens on them. And I love doing that. I love that students are doing that. And I think Villanova does a great job of fostering those, those questions and conversations on campus. And, you know, I would say for any of the listeners who have never been on Villanova's campus, it's just a beautiful campus. You know, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And it's situated in a, in a very, uh, very nice scenic area in Philly. And so, yeah, some total of what's going on there academically, the surroundings, the environment, uh, I could see how that would be very enjoyable to, to, you know, to, to go to work every day and be in that environment. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's an awesome place. Uh, we have a very large, uh, Navy and Army ROTC program on campus. So we're yeah. producing, you know, officers, uh, you know, and, you know, creating leaders for our next generation of military service. So I get to be around that, which is great. Um, and I interact with those students, uh, you know, fairly frequently. And then we have a, a growing student veteran population as well. And so we do a lot of activities and opportunities where we're blending the two, where, where students who are about to join the military are interacting with students who have been in the military from an enlisted standpoint 
and you know doing some uh, some learning, some conversations about that. What is it like to you know lead people who are um, you know enlisted? What's it like being an officer? Um, it, it's 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 really an awesome opportunity and environment at Villanova, and something I'm I'm really uh, happy to be a part of. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now let's talk about in the beginning. You you mentioned you founded the office, right? So yeah. can you talk our listeners through some of that process? With, you know, uh, I'm assuming like from scratch, probably right? Policy, procedures, everything. Yeah. So they 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 uh, posted the job. Villanova did while I was still at the community college, and I applied for it. And you know my, you know dumb intuition was thinking, well, they're probably just going to hire a, a figurehead who they want to bring on, you know, some retired lieutenant colonel or something. Nothing, nothing wrong with that, but that's just what I thought. But I, I, uh, I used my, uh, my network to help me. Uh, I applied for the job. And when you look at the job description that was initially there to where it is today, you know, it's totally different. They just sort of said, we need someone to sort of, you know, found an office, you know, and start from scratch and, and take it within your vision. And so what we started with and where we are today uh, are two very different things. I, I tend to feel like um, that's a good thing. I was happy. It gave me a lot of autonomy to create a department, if you will. It's still a department of one. Hopefully we'll be growing, you know, at some point in the future, but it's just me currently. But it really just gave me the opportunity to create a vision and a department based on meeting the needs of students where they are. I think if, you know, a lot of times if we create a job description and you're stuck doing things that aren't actually, you know, meeting students where they're at, I, I don't think it's an empowering opportunity for them. So that's how I saw it is, let's get some students on campus and let's see what they need here. What do they want at Villanova? What do they want to see happen? Um, and so we've done that. We've uh, we do green zone training. We, uh, we work with faculty and staff all around campus to talk to them about, you know, resources and tools and opportunities to work with student veterans in the classroom uh, in on campus in general. Uh, and I use student veterans uh, to help teach those classes, which has been, you know, fantastic. Uh, I have a, a strong veteran alumni network that I utilize every single day uh, to link up current students with maybe mentoring opportunities or job opportunities or an internship opportunities. So it's really something where I think it's a living, breathing office. Where we are today is gonna to be always changing and always adapting to the needs of our students. And I think that's really my philosophy. I don't wanna create some static office that's just there to check off some box. I wanna create an office that's living and growing and becoming something that meets the needs of our students. Man, I love hearing that so much uh, because, you know, there are campuses out there that have those offices that check the box, right? And uh, then there are people taking the approach, like yourself, that are, are getting your office out of the silo and getting the whole campus involved, right? And I love that you're going to the students first, hearing their needs and desires, and then pulling in alumni and you know making it real and connecting people on campus again involving students in, in that process as well because uh i in my opinion that's that's what really makes uh the office come alive and makes if we're serving student veterans 
that's that's the true serving there, right? It's not just like, hey, come down to the lounge and there's free coffee and you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll help you find a tutor, you know, it's like, no, there's so much more than that. Like, I, I like your description, you know, a living, breathing office, because that's really, I, I think, the way we should be. It should be taking care, even if you're office one, taking care of things yourself, but also being able to make those handoffs, you know, and, and getting all a campus involved. Absolutely. I think uh, if we don't include various stakeholders around campus, I think we're doing our students a, a huge disservice uh, because a college campus is full of resources and tools and opportunities that our student veterans should not be left out of. I think that should be a, a, an integral part of, in fact. And so that's what I, I do every day is I'm, I'm always linking up with my colleagues around campus who are, again, they are really awesome folks who care deeply about our students, whether you're an 18-year-old first-year student from North Carolina coming to Villanova, whether you're a 35-year-old student veteran getting it, doesn't matter. They, we, we meet their needs where they are at. And I think it's, a, it's something that I'm very passionate about, but it's, it's something that I think Villanova does a great job of, of really being, being an inclusive community. There's always room to grow, um, obviously, but we're, we're getting to a point where it's it's, it's getting to how it ought to look on campus. That's perfect. I, I mean, I think, right, we, that's, that, that goes back to the military, right? We, we always uh, are trying to perfect what we're doing, but always looking to improve at the same time. And, and you're right, the, the very nature of equity and inclusivity and, you know, including veterans, military population and that marginalized population, it is a dynamic environment. Right, and so there's always going to be people uh, like yourself that are going to have to make those shifts and think about uh, what stakeholders to include when and all, all those different things because, like uh, you said earlier, it can't be static. That's right. It, it's uh, do, being static is, I, I believe, really uh, a true disservice to our our students, uh, and that's you know the goal of a college campus to to serve students and to get them from, you know, the day they apply and get accepted to where their alumni being set up for success. Uh, that's, that's the goal, um, you know, long-term. And I think, you know, the future's bright. We have a, a new student veteran center being built on campus as we speak. Awesome. Um, and, it, and again, I, I think uh, when I think of having a student veteran center, it's not to check a box. It's not to say, oh, look at here, we have this center and we're done. The center is literally just the beginning of a long journey uh, of creating a dynamic space on campus where employers can come on to do workshops, where student veterans can meet other students to network, to just hang out, to eat lunch, to have their student veteran club meetings, where I can do green zone training. Uh, so it's, it's, it's just a, a sort of a, a space that provides to me opportunities for learning and growth uh, for me, for campus faculty and staff, for students, for alumni. It's not just, you know, a, a box being checked to say, hey, look at us, we have this, this center on campus. That's, that's not it at all. I think it's, it's the, the beginning of the story, chapter one in, you know, where we're going on a long journey. That's very exciting. That's very exciting. I love hearing that. And that, I'm, I'm happy for all your students, for everyone at Villanova, for you. That's, that's awesome. Um, so with that, Mike, 
So other than other than probably overseeing, you know, the complete uh, physical location being built, where do you have anything uh, on the horizon that you're working on? Anything new that that you could share with the audience? Sure. So I'll share with you three three things that we're doing. One okay. is um, one is called the Voices of Villanova's Veterans, where I interview. Um, veterans who have a connection to Villanova, whether they're alumni, current students, faculty members, staff members, whatever. I interview them in a sort of an NPR style format. Um, and we archive that audio file forever on campus so that their family members can hear their, their Villanova story, their military story, and you know life after the military. And we've awesome. done that now for a couple of years. And it's been really rewarding to see faculty, staff, alumni, and students tell their stories because long after they're gone, maybe their grandkids or their you know, spouses or brothers or sisters or whomever will want to hear that story. And so that's really been a, a great opportunity for us to engage with um, the larger Villanova community. Another thing that we are doing is you know, when I got on campus, I learned very quickly that we have a dynamic history of producing men and women who go out and serve their country. Um, and unfortunately, many of them lost their lives in, on the battlefield. And so how do, we, how do we effectively tell that story? And I felt like a granite wall with names is, is one way to do that. Right. Eventually we will get there. But what I have uh, done is with the help of the digital archive team at the library is we've created a uh, interactive memorial map online so that you can go and look at a global map with little pins on it. And when you click on a pin, It'll bring up someone's name, the, their story, the circumstances around their death. Um, so you learn more about their name than just a, you know, a name on a granite wall. It's really learning about their story. Um, we had a veteran you know, die on Utah Beach uh, who was a Villanovan. We've had uh, Villanovans you know, die serving under Patton. We had a Villanovan who was a Philadelphia Eagle who, who left the Philadelphia Eagles to go serve and was killed three years later uh, in France. Um, you know, he could have kept playing NFL football, uh, but he didn't. So he's the he's the Pat Tillman before Pat Tillman, right. uh, Will. But a lot of people on campus didn't know those stories, uh, and I think there's real value in you know showing faculty, staff, and the, this the greater Phil, you know Villanova community about those. I think there's real value in that and understanding that Villanova has a tradition of service. Um, more than just days of service or, or whatever, but really serving their community and country on a larger scale. Um, so that's something we're working on. There's a lot of research left to do, but it is, it is up and you can look at it today uh, and learn about, I think we have around 30 veterans up on the wall. We have around 70 more to go. It's around 100, 110 that we know of so far that died in service. Uh, and then lastly, uh, what I'm hoping to do is work with the alumni office to create uh, dynamic travel opportunities for our students and our alumni to travel around the world um, in a space that's together. So maybe we take 10 students and 10 alumni and we go to Normandy and we learn about, you know, uh, D-Day and we immerse ourselves in a, you know, private tour of it and learn about the Villanovan who died on that, on that day. Um, or maybe we go to Iwo Jima and learn about the Villanovans who died on Iwo Jima, or, you know, things like that. That's our, our, our future is, I think, creating experiential dynamic opportunities for our students and our alumni 
to continue to engage with, with each other, you know, establish relationships, but also learn and, and develop and uh, have some fun while we're at it. I love it. I love it. And absolutely. I mean, bring all stakeholders together and, and go and, you know, like you said, it's one thing to have, have their name on a wall, but to go and, and stand and be in the place where, uh, you know, they ultimately lost their life uh, for, for the greater good. I mean, I can't think of anything that really could be more powerful than that. You know, that's very, very exciting, very rich uh, and ties, ties down so much of your culture at your school, you know. Uh, and side note, I mean, travel, sign me up, coach. I wanna... <laughs> you you want to be a chaperone? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great <laughs> idea. I think that's something that's easily marketable because like who, who wouldn't want to go to those places to begin with? And then to have such a rich tie-in, I mean, that's, that's genius, Mike. I love it. Yeah, it's something that we've been working on now for a while with, uh, you know, obviously because of COVID, we haven't been able to travel. So right. we're thinking probably in the spring of 2023 at this point would be our first venture into that. Um, and maybe sooner, uh, we'll see if we can get to that point. But we want to make Normandy our first stop um, and do that, maybe spend a week there and, and learn about um, you know, immerse ourselves in the, the D-Day experience and then also learn about the Villanovan who uh, was a combat medic and who died, you know, helping other sol oh, wow. soldiers on the beaches. Wow, very powerful. Very po Have you been to Normandy before? I have, but I was, uh, it was when I was stationed in Germany. I was a 19-year-old PFC and I really didn't, you know, I was just, you know, enjoying army life and time away from base. So I did go and it was a great experience. I think this will be a much more, you know, fulfilling and enriching experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, yeah. Sounds like powerful, powerful. I'm very excited. I'm very excited for, for everybody who's going to take part of it. Well, excellent. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, today we have been talking to Mr. Michael Brown of Villanova University. And uh, when we release this episode, if Mike gives us any of the links, maybe the links to some of these projects you just mentioned, We'll add those in uh, so people can take a look at those and, and see all the great work that you're doing. Uh, Mike, thank you so, so much. This has been a great episode. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Luke. I really appreciate the opportunity to tell my story, but really, more importantly, tell the Villanova story, as I think it's a, a great story worth telling. Uh, it's, a, it's an awesome place to be. I'm happy to be a part of it, and I, you know, I see myself being here for a really long time, so it's, it's a it's a privilege to be on your show. I think what you're doing is awesome. I really enjoy your episodes and look forward to future episodes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And everybody, we always thank you for listening. We appreciate all the support that you give us here. And until next time, this has been Veterans and Academics. Thank you. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans in Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McLeese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.